Hello, and welcome to The Joy of Fundraising, a Tiltify podcast where we talk about all things fundraising in both the general and philanthropic space and live streaming space. Oh my God, I butchered that so badly, but I'm going to keep this version <laughs> because not everyone is perfect, and you're going to learn that during this episode. But my name is Daniel Casper-Bong. I'm the community manager for Tiltify, and joining us as always is our social media lead, Miss Maggie Draskia. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Well, it is always awesome to hear from you. And our special guest for episode number seven, where we're talking about momentum with fundraising and charity fundraising, is super accomplished. She has raised over $100,000 for St. Jude and even more for various other causes. But she runs community engagement over at Alienware. Uh, Miss Anna Marie, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm really like, this is really exciting. We are super excited to have you on because for episode six, we had Zachary Witten join us, who is the director of innovation over at St. Jude. And of course, we're a beautiful human and his mustache. Like he gets mad at me every time I refer to it. But, you know, it's just it is so it's so iconic. So episode number six, we talked to Zach and he talked about everything St. Jude. It, It was such a long episode and we didn't even want to cut anything from it because it was so informative that it ended up being like an hour 45 or something like that. Wow. Um, yeah, he can talk and he's oh yeah extremely passionate. But we figured that we want to balance that with someone that is equally as passionate about St. Jude. So that's why we want to bring you on because you've raised, again, over $100,000 for St. Jude over the last six years. Your current campaign is actually nearing $30,000 and it started a week ago. So like... Yeah, (laughs) it's it's mind blowing to know. And of course, you've got your industry job as well. You work over at Alienware. You've Mm -hmm. been there for a handful of years and they they also support St. Jude Play Live as well. Mm -hmm. It's it's just wonderful to have you here and we should just get started. Anna, you are a influencer. You are an industry member and you are a huge St. Jude supporter. But let's go to the beginning and let's talk about you. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your upbringing, and how you eventually mm-hmm. found yourself to this live streaming space? So my parents divorced when I was a week old, um, which is pretty unconventional. I was supposed to save the marriage, and I did not do my job. Um, I am so sorry <laughs> as a you know seven-day-old baby that you could not... <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't hold it together. So my my upbringing was not anything that is what would be considered normal. So I split my time 50-50 between uh, Orange County, California, and the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Um, Jeez. <laughs> That is that is quite a distance too. Yeah. So it's three thousand miles. Um, so it's you know, quite far. And this happened for my whole life. I would do, you know, every other month, and it was like every three months, then every six months, which is probably why I'm so terrible at math, because I just not grasped the basics even to this day. I'm just like, I don't care anymore. There's calculators now, mom. Look at me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I tell my parents the exact same thing. <laughs> So um, with that, obviously, two different lifestyles, two different lives. I felt like growing up, I was kind of stuck between two worlds, but I didn't really fit in either of them. And throughout a lot of like high school and elementary school, I had like suffered with um, self-harm and depression. It was really kind of hard to figure out like who I was and where did I belong? Because I felt like I didn't really belong anywhere. And if you would believe me, I was not allowed to play video games growing up. What? Um, No, that's relatable. Never. (laughs) 
It's true. And my mom, she hates this because I can tell her I told you so now. But now, obviously with my job, I get to do a lot more of that. But I had torn my ACL um, after a season of field hockey. And my mom had felt so bad because I was gone. I was in the process of losing my scholarship because I was injured for it. And um, she one day decided that she just randomly like bought an Xbox and a PlayStation. And I was like, who are you? You are the woman that is like, you will not play games. Everything you will do is educational. You will play at least one sport a year. You will learn an instrument. You will get good grades. Like, and my mom comes home with an Xbox and a PlayStation. And I'm like, who, who is this woman? Amazing, though. <laughs> Amazing. So if you would believe me, my first real game was Halo 1. Wow. So it was Halo CE. Oh, my goodness. And it wasn't even like the first level. I remember I was at my dad's house when I played it. And he had, because he bought the Xbox for me. So yeah, for of him. course, yeah. Yeah. And so I had like Mad Dash, Ace Pilots. Uh, there was like a flight simulator game and then Halo were the three games that we had and my uncle and my dad were playing Halo but it was the library level um actually no uh, 343 Guilty Spark so it was the outside like in the trees I hear things screaming at me in the bushes I'm already afraid of the dark and I'm like what is <laughs> oh, this no. game and I'm like lost. I'm like this dumb little kid just lost, like not knowing where to go. Like I'm supposed to go in the building. It was the most horrific experience I've ever had in my life. Oh, but no. I was so determined to get out of that stupid jungle that I was like, I sat there and I played the entire Halo from like that point forward. And I had no idea what I was doing. It was a mess. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. And I know that my personal experience <laughs> with getting into games was very different because when I was four, my parents bought a Nintendo system because it just came out. So oh. that was like 94, 95. And they bought a Nintendo system, but they only bought two games. And it was Duck Hunt, which came with it, and Super mm -hmm. Mario Bros. 3, right? So I think that was actually a bundled game. So it was only one game. But I was awful at Mario Bros. because I didn't understand how to move. I was four. So I'm just like trying to button mash things. And you're four. You can't really, yeah. you know figure out how to platform through a level or anything like that. And then Duck Hunt, I'm sure you guys know this, like if you have a second player plugged in and they have a controller and you have the gun to shoot the ducks, the controller can actually control where the ducks go. I didn't know that. I didn't, I've never played it. Yeah, I was a BB when I played it. Really? Okay, anyway, so, <laughs> so I have the gun trying to shoot the ducks. Oh, that's fair. Okay, right, right, right. Maggie, you have no excuse. I'm, I'm looking. I have no excuse. Yeah. I don't. You have no excuse whatsoever. Um, but I was trying to shoot the ducks, and I didn't know this because I was four. Uh, and my brother's just like he's like hiding the controller, and he's like controlling the duck and making it go like all fast Diabolical. into the corners. It was so mean, Aww. and I got. But it made me so determined to get that duck. And long story short, like many years later, I ended up playing a competitive and professional uh, Call of Duty when I was 14. I wasn't the best, but I was still I was still ranked in the the invite league and whatnot and played a couple years there. And then my computer got too outdated. Call of Duty 2 came out and then I couldn't handle it. So then I had to leave gaming for like 
four or five years, go to console Aww. gaming. But that was kind of my my upbringing with video games and my parents enabling it from a very young age. But Draskia, how about you? How was how was your upbringing with video games? So from being a little baby to about eight, the only thing that I played was the SNES and the Sega Genesis. Uh, it was my dad's and my grandma's, actually. My first game that I played was Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. What? I wait, say. wait, that was your first game? Yes, that was um, my first game. Mine was Duck Hunt, okay? Like, how is this <laughs> <Yeah>. fair? <laughs> One of the best it games of so all time, fun. but no, it's fine. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was my first one. Um, and then at eight, my dad got married uh, to my stepmom, and she did not like video games. So I skipped from eight to about 18. And then I got a PlayStation 3, and I started playing whatever I could. Uh, Skyrim was my next obsession. So yeah, that's about it. So wait, wait, Link's Awakening to Skyrim, like two uh -huh. of the most iconic games of the last uh -huh. however many years <laughs> were your first two games, essentially. That, yeah, right. she did it right. All right. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. Anna Marie, of course, yours was Halo. Like, okay, I feel like you guys got spoiled a little bit as <laughs> I'm sitting here with my, with my duck hunt with a gun at four, like not being able to, <sighs> I'm so very jealous of that. Anyways, Anne-Marie, let's, let's go back to you. So video games, Halo was kind of your first foray into the video gaming world. How did that translate into kind of your influencer part? So, oh, this gets um, uh, crazy. It's interesting. So because I, like, I had torn my ACL, I was like, I couldn't really do anything for a couple months because I was kind of on bed rest just trying to heal. Right. I got really good at Halo when that had come out then and then when halo 3 released a lot of guys at my high school would do like what they called like game days or land like land days right mm -hmm. and we would have like 15 20 people crammed into a tiny house <laughs> um all trying to like play halo and you'd have to like swap turns and stuff depending on it, how bad you sucked so i tried really hard to like not be in the bottom brackets and because of that, like, I'm a very competitive person. I just translated that from field hockey to video games, <laughs> which I don't know was good or healthy at the time, but I did it. It um, happened. And it happened. And it got to the point where then I was starting to, like, pay to play online. And my mom was okay with it because at the time, like, I had great grades. She couldn't fight me. I was really upset about, you know, field hockey and not being able to play anymore. Um, and that was something that like she understood so she let me do this and um it finally got to a point where i was asked and this is really in hindsight this was probably the worst thing i could have done so somebody i played with somebody in the mlg playlist on halo 3 and they asked if i wanted to go to mlg dallas to compete with them <laughs> in hindsight don't do this right um so I, I told my mom, I knew these people, I paid for my own hotel, I paid for my own airplane ticket. I had a friend that I had just met for the first time come to my house, be like, Oh, yeah, we're totally like, we've been friends for years. Like, we know each other. My mom knows this story now. So I'm a little less scared about it. But in hindsight, what the heck was I thinking? Um, but I had, you know, I had the cell phone. I, I had uh, my own hotel room. I knew people that were going to be at the event in case anything had happened. I had um, 
family not too far away in Dallas, just in case. So I attended MLG Dallas in 2009. And when it was at my first like real kind of like experience and event, unfortunately, my teammates were more worried about drinking than they were competing. So of we course. did terrible. Um, you know, story of my life. But it really like got me invested in wanting to be competitive and compete. So I stayed in Halo for about a couple of years after that. And then I played Call of Duty at, on the MLG circuit for 10 years. Good um, Lord. That is a very long time. <laughs> that wow. is dedication, too. It's, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of Call of Duties, man. Yeah. Um, and I only retired because I accepted the job to move here to Austin to work full-time for Alienware because I figured a 401k would have been better. But the whole time during this... The way that I was able to go and attend these events was either through sponsorships or through my own funds. My mom was, she literally put every roadblock in the way to make this difficult because she wanted two things. She wanted me to either not do it because she, she didn't think that video games were going to like really kind of amount to anything. And she wanted, if this is something that I really wanted to do, I needed to work for it. So I, I got written permission from my college professors. I paid out of my own way like i worked at gamestop for for many years i found out that you know if you if you work as a booth babe you can also make some pretty good money too <laughs> so so I, I did that i traveled to boston you know i went to pack seattle you know i i did the gambit of all the of all the events e3 um but it was great because the whole time i was doing this i had in the back of my mind what's my fallback right like i can't compete forever so my biggest thing that my mom had instilled in me that I still kind of hold to this day is how is this going to build my resume? So when I was working at these booths, I was, you know, networking, I was working on, you know, how to, how do I market myself? How can I really use this as an opportunity as not just a paycheck to send me to MLG Anaheim or MLG Raleigh or, you know, whatever random city we're going to go to next, but really utilize it as a way to learn grow and to get me hired one day and luckily that's actually the reason and how i got hired through alienware is by like hustling after all these years like that that's crazy to hear because it, you had this game plan from the get-go it sounds like where you were very mm -hmm. methodical about your approach because yes you love competing and you love being competitive and and playing in these tournaments and the mlg circuit like for anyone that doesn't know it's like they have like six or seven events a year back then and it was all over the place all throughout the united states it was oh, yeah. a lot of fun to attend and it was it was a very surreal experience so to to kind of have that hindsight and to be cognizant of what you wanted to accomplish and where you want to get is definitely indicative of kind of how you got to where you are today working for alienware is not Anything you can scoff at, like being in the position that you are, you've been there for many years now. That's that's such a crazy, amazing, fantastic story because for some people like myself, definitely not the case. I kind of just lucked into it. I remember going to MLG Orlando 2011, and then I think I was at Dallas the following year. But one of mm -hmm. them, I was trying to compete in StarCraft 2 because it just came out. And that was kind of like my foray <gasps> oh, into streaming. okay. And uh, yeah, I wanted to be the next professional StarCraft player. So I, I've mentioned that numerous times over the last couple episodes because apparently I love reminding myself how much I failed. But I was also competing in Halo Reach. You tried. So I was the backup for my friends like 
kind of semi-pro team, but I wasn't a I wasn't a console shooter. I was more so a PC shooter. Trying to adapt to Halo Reach was really difficult. I was more so just trying to help them out because they just needed a backup for the roster. I ended up playing in their qualification for top 16 and we ended up mm -hmm. winning. So we got into the oh. top 16. So we we're on the main stage and then I was just filling in for that one game. So I didn't get to play on the main stage. Oh, no. But it, but it's fine because their first match was against either Instinct or Final Boss, um, which were Oh, two. yeah, never mind. Yeah, that no, they got destroyed. <laughs> they got destroyed. It was the fastest, like, if there was a record for the fastest 3-0 or 0-3 loss in the history of MLG and Halo Reach, it was us because we just got stomped. Anyways, so the team got stomped, and it was from there as well as my experiences with StarCraft, where I was like, you know what? I don't think competitive gaming's for me. Like, I love being competitive, but not to this level. I was still in college, mm -hmm. finishing my degree. So then I decided to become a live streamer. I found out about Man and Zeke, and they're doing charity fundraising. So off of that, I kind of just found a way to shift myself towards just being an entertainer and being a content creator, and then... One day after running charity events for many years when there wasn't any real dedicated platform to it, it was at that point where Twitch kind of noticed that and a small up-and-coming company called Tiltify reached out to Twitch. They were like, hey, do you know anyone in the space that might be a good fit for you know, a community manager position, someone that knows charity, that has done charity, experience with it? And they're like, oh yeah, there, here's three people that we recommend. And one of them was myself and one of them was Ali, who now works charity at Twitch. So... It's Aww. it's a uh, it's a very small world that we kind of worked in because the charity fundraising, the live streaming, and just I kind of just lucked into it where Michael just reached out. He's like, "Hey, right place, right time." Yeah, right place, right time. And now I'm at Tiltify for now four years, running a podcast that I don't have never done before. <laughs> so it's you're been... doing awesome. Yes, and Draskia, you found your way here, and we've heard your story a couple times. But yes. um, how how did you find your way kind of into this space? I was bored, and I was playing WoW, and I was like, if I and I was actually watching a Minecraft streamer, and I was like, well, if if they can do this, then I can do this, and I just started streaming. That was about it. Um, I stayed home with my kids, so I had three children, and the only thing that I did was play video games and make sure that they were alive, and that was that was my job. <laughs> so, hey, that's not a bad job. So yeah. Between the three of us, we've got the grinder in Anna Marie. We've got the person that lucked into his position in <laughs> myself, and then we had the mom that was just bored. All right. Yeah. Well. Yep. <laughs> and now we're all industry members we all still stream as well uh mm -hmm. creating content like it's insane it's absolutely insane so i've been on gosh twitch for this is my going on 11th year back in the day it was kind of i call it the wild wild west like right like right. just in tv you never knew what you were gonna get if you click to the next thing <laughs> right you just never knew right so it's great to see now that throughout these years that with the reality of where Twitch is like kind of come up in the world and it's more of like a verified platform now that because of that charity can kind of sit on that, you know, those, the bedrock yeah, to use that Minecraft turn. Sorry, can you tell I've played a lot of Minecraft lately? A little bit. Uh, a little to bit. kind of like build up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's But no, crazy. that feels really good. It does feel really good. I remember we were, um, Tiltify was helping run this big charity event last month called Hope From Home. And they actually sent us a screenshot because we were working with United Way. We were working with Comic Relief. And we were also working with the United Nations Foundation. And those three charities mm -hmm. kind of came together to do this big event with big YouTubers and Twitch streamers. But they sent us a picture like a couple of 
hours in, it was in Times Square and it was on the NASDAQ and it just had a gigantic ad for Hope From Home. And it is, it's Aww. just mind-blowing that people are walking through Times Square. They're looking at the NASDAQ. They're looking at like this gigantic billboard. Um, now, there's not that many people because of the state of the world right now. But still, it was there. And mm -hmm. <laughs> we have proof. That's all that matters. And that's all that yes. matters is that, you know, Twitch and charity fundraising in particular has gone to that size where we're able to influence the world quite literally and figuratively Yay. with what we do. So... It's incredible. And speaking of influencing the world, because that is the best segue I could come up with there. I want to talk about your involvement with St. Jude, because St. Jude, of course, is a very personal thing. I've heard the story. Draskis heard the story, of course. But St. Jude is so personal for you. Did you want to maybe touch on that a little bit, what St. Jude means to you? The best way that I've ever found to describe it is by being candid and by just telling the truth. And that is in my family, you don't grow old you die of cancer. I have not lost a single member of my family due to old age. It's I've lost everybody to cancer and one unfortunate drunk driver. <laughs> like that's it's just the the way of the world and this is both sides of my family that unfortunately this is happening to. And so in the past 4 years I've lost 5 family members to cancer. And my other grandfather was recently diagnosed. Luckily, it's something that's that's treatable right now. I mean, we're managing it, but it's it's a very selfish reason, and I feel guilty for for having such a selfish reason for for fundraising. But for me, it's it allows me to kind of have that fire, and you kind of need to have a fire in you, something that's like driving you to want to go and try to do things that you've never thought you could do, whether that is playing the most terrifying game of your life or crying in front of like thousands of people because that's just who you are known as an internet crybaby now. <laughs> it just, it's just one of those things that um, I, I can't really put it into words. And the best way to, to describe it is when I visited St. Jude for the first time, it literally changed my life. It allowed me to not see what I had seen with my family members dying, which was like sadness and people being upset and, you know, just what hospitals feel like. Everybody always says that when you go to St. Jude, it doesn't feel like a hospital and it doesn't. We're going to keep saying that over and over and again because I'm terrified of hospitals. It's not like where I ever want to go. It's not where I want to be. I have severe anxiety when I go near them. But when you go to St. Jude, it feels like a home. It just... The air even smells better because they like triple filter it. They have clouds painted on the ceiling. Their attention to detail and for what they do as an organization is amazing. And honestly, some of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my entire life work for them. And I am so lucky and blessed to be in a position now where I can actually call them friends. It's such a surreal experience knowing that a place like St. Jude exists because I remember when I first got invited to St. Jude, it was terrifying to me because I had been fundraising for them for a couple of years at that point, but we were around 11 years removed when I lost my best friend to cancer and I never stepped foot in a hospital since, ever since I was 14, all the way up until I went to St. Jude. So it, it was extremely anxiety inducing where... I almost turned down the offer 
to go to St. Jude. And I'm so glad that I did because it has quite literally shaped who I am because we have our personal experiences. And now I turn that fear into a motivator. And I'm able to say that, yes, I love St. Jude. It is not a hospital. It is a miracle factory where they just pump out miracles nonstop. And I hope that that is just something that happens and continues to happen as we move forward. And for Drasky, I know for you, like you have your kids and you want to make sure mm -hmm. that that never happens to them. Um, yes. Yep. It, it's a, it's a very powerful experience that we all had going there for the first time. And I know that this acts as a motivator for us, of course, because we've seen the hospital, we've seen the facility, we've seen the patients, we've interacted with them. I know that we got to make dinner with them that one time and we made tacos. Oh, yeah. Oh man, I was Oh, we were bad. We were bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. We we were in the same group that got to feed some of the families for St. Jude uh 2 years ago. <laughs> and I remember I was I was on your site and looking at some of your blog posts, some previous blog posts before this, and I saw a picture of us there and I was like, "Oh my goodness, we were there and we were making tacos." <laughs> and oh my yeah. god, it was so It was a mess. It was a mess. It was organized it was disorganized and organized at the same time more families started oh, coming yeah. in and we're just like oh my god what are we doing and it's just oh. but then paddington bear was on so we had to watch it yes and then i i tried to weasel my way out of doing work so that i could just watch paddington bear with everyone <laughs> i'm gonna keep that in the recording fyi so that people don't think i'm trying to be <laughs> perfect again but saint jude is a magical place i think that's where we can kind of leave that discussion but you had a really unique experience last year where you got to work with CNN and talk about your great big story and the series that we're doing about that. How did that come about? Because working with CNN is like a complete, I'm sure you never imagined in a million years that would happen. And to talk yeah. about your life and your experiences and St. Jude at the same time, like that is crazy. It was honestly a dream come true. So a couple of things happened because of what i've been doing these past couple of years they had wrote to me into a call with pr saying hey we need your feedback on this we're doing something with cnn we're doing two things one of which we want to be kind of like charity and maybe talk about like what you've done with saint jude or something along those lines myself and the producers at great big story cnn had a separate call and i figured out what they wanted so ultimately they wanted to do like a live stream that Alienware would sponsor, you know, with Dr. Lupo and other big names. And so I was just trying to figure out, I was like, okay, well, you know, you can do that. But at the same time, Dr. Lupo is a, is a wonderful human being. He's raised so much for St. Jude, but we, you know, we haven't worked with him on a charity level. So I can't really like vouch for that. And then finally, it got to a point where they were asking me, OK, so what do you do then with St. Jude? And then I, I literally did the whole spiel. I, I told them, you know, how long I've been fundraising, why I fundraise, and that the last year I had just lost my grandfather to cancer. You know, it was a very personal story to me. Finally, they were like, well, would you want to be in this? Long story short, I ended up on Halloween traveling to St. Jude by myself for the first time without the summit, which was the most surreal experience I've ever had in my entire life. I got to share the story of why I fundraise for St. Jude and why it means so much to me 
And it was very hard, obviously, because we literally filmed the first day. That was the one year anniversary of my grandfather's death. And it was probably one of the hardest days of my life because I had shut down as a person for an entire year and was not able to function as as anything. And then going to a hospital surrounded by children who have cancer. <laughs> Yeah, And then fundraise for that. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of crying on my end. So like every night trying to just kind of push through it. But I knew I needed to do it because the story needed to get told. And if nobody else was going to do it, I was going to do it. And I was going to at least make sure I did it right. So we, we got to introduce Miguel. We got to take over the Target house, which I've never been able to do. I got to fulfill a lifelong dream of actually live streaming from the St. Jude campus and I took over like I took over the studio (laughs) I got to do whatever I wanted to do and I got to tell Zach what to do like I was on (laughs) cloud nine (laughs) I never knew that I could have so much I was drunk with power (laughs) I was drunk with power but we had this crazy idea so the the video was twofold it was talking about who I am, why am I doing this? How does my my job and my role allow me to do it? And then introducing Miguel and what does it mean for him as a former patient and then us teaming up. So the second part of the video, we're actually trying to fundraise $5,000 in four hours, which is something I had never done before. I couldn't promote it. I couldn't tell anybody about it, it was coming up. I it, Everything had to be a secret. I literally was like trying to give hints about like posting throughout the entire week, every day on social, like my promo videos from previous years to be like, (laughs) hey, something's coming that I can't tell you what it is. Like I couldn't say anything until like literally 12 hours before I could do a live stream because that's what you see in the in the video being like, hey, I know you guys save all year to fundraise with me in May, but surprise, we're going to do it in like. 12 hours, I'll see you tomorrow. And hopefully we can actually hit $5,000. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. And so I'm gonna go cry now in the in the shower. Goodbye. <laughs> um, that's basically how that that went. I spent that entire time stressing out. I don't remember any of the event. I'll be honest, because all I could think about is if we don't hit the $5,000, I will feel like a failure. And I know that's not healthy. And I know that's not true. And I can hear Zach screaming at me now. But that that doesn't matter, right? Like if I didn't hit the goal, whatever the goal was, I regardless would walk away from that day feeling like, okay, we did something really cool. Thank you, CNN. Thank you. A great big story. But I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't hit that number that we needed to hit. Spoiler, we, we hit we hit the number. I cried profusely. I ate a crap ton of vomit flavored beans <laughs> because I owed them. I said if we did it, I would eat five. And I ate five. It was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had the pleasure of being a part of. But it it's never something that I thought would happen. And it was honestly and truthfully because Alienware and internally my coworkers championed me to and pushed me forward to do this. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it's an incredible story because I remember that day very well where it was just another work day. I was just working on some things. And then all of a sudden I see on social Zach being like, 
this charity fundraiser is going on right now and you guys need to support it. And I was like, what is this? And I went in and it, it was Anna Marie and she was fundraising. I was like, oh my God, wait, she's on campus right now. And that's Miguel. And I've, I've met Miguel many times and I'm like, what is going on? So I caught up really quickly. And that was right around the time you were like uh, 4,200, 4,300, trying to push towards that last that last little bit in the last half the hour. Last yeah. And it was it was crazy to watch because it's like, you know, pushing outside of your boundaries, pushing outside of your comfort zone. I, I know you well enough to know, like, that was probably a nerve wracking experience and you just validated all of that for me. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Uh, and no, no, no. going through all of that is just it, it's so powerful to hear success stories, of course. And it's it's equally as powerful to hear failures, of course, because we learn from those. But this was kind of a mixture of the two because you didn't fail, not by a long shot. But you were scared to fail. And as someone that is so competitive, that is so motivated, that wants to keep that momentum and trying to find ways to succeed, like all that bunched up together just creates the Anna Marie that we are very proud to know. And I'm just sitting here listening to the story. And I hope St. Jude is listening. I hope we could find a way to turn this into a story because we talk about storytelling so often when it comes to St. Jude and how we are retelling their story. And over the years, and even Zach said this in our previous episode, that it's no longer their story, like St. Jude's story that we're telling. It's our version of that story and how we've internalized it and how we've connected with it. But in your case, Anna Marie, it's like your story is now a story that we can refer to because that just listening to all of it, it's just it's it's mind blowing how you go through it. And watching the great big story, like watching the video itself. I watched it before this podcast and I watched it last night. So I watched it twice in the last 12, 14 hours. And I'm not going to lie. I went to bed crying because it, it's, it is incredible. And it, it's so personal and so emotionally filled. And then you get to the end and you see the success because spoilers. Yes, they hit the 5,000. And I just remember this moment where you're like, oh, my God, we hit it. We hit it. This is amazing. And then you just back up in your chair and you're just like. And you're just like in your hands and just super emotional and overcome with emotion. And all three of us have been there. Right. Whether it's for St. Jude or not, we've all been there finding that passion and finding that motivation and seeing the success. And even if it was a failure, even if it was you would feel the exact same way because you knew you did it. You got through it. Mm. And this isn't the only time that you've had to do something like this. Uh, last year for the summit, you had to talk in front of 300 of your peers and tell this story <laughs> to them. I remember because I had to talk that same year. It's just, it's, it's an emotional overload, I feel. But we push ourselves through that. I remember almost declining that offer. I feel like I almost declined every good offer in my life. I almost declined that too. I, w I rewrote that speech literally up until the point. If you see me, like I was on my phone rewriting it as we're sitting there. Like, I don't want to do this and I'm going to throw up. We, we push ourselves past our boundaries very often. And I think pushing your comfort zones is a very important thing. And we've seen that from both of your fundraisers this year with Anne-Marie, again, almost $30,000 raised in your first week of fundraising for Play Live this year, which has brought you over the $100,000 mark for the past six years. And you're probably going to surpass that. Let's be honest. You've got another 20 days or so. And I don't know. I, I like, I kid you not. And this is 
this is no bullshit. Like, I'm not trying to pull your leg and play coy and be like any of this. Like, like my community thinks that I'm lying to them. I have no idea how the f we're doing this right now. Like, it's not making sense to me. And I'm just waiting for, like, the floor to, like, level out and we plateau for a while because normally like you hit the beginning high and then you plateau for like maybe about the rest of the month you get a little bit spike at the end and then you're about clean right right it just keeps going and i'm like where are you getting this money from like <laughs> what is happening how can i do this again next year to like get you guys like excited about it is it something that i'm doing is it prizing is it do you like to see me cry is that a thing <laughs> i like i'll keep crying please donate to charity like i've already like lost that persona already so i'm just i have no freaking clue what fuck is happening right now <laughs> and i will be the first to tell you that for sure like i don't know i i think I'm every every charity fundraiser like influencer side content creators i think we all have that moment because i i think draski even experienced that as well because she uh -huh. raised over five thousand dollars in her first two days of fundraising yeah yep yep and that is that is the total that she raised all last year so over a month she raised five thousand now she's done that yeah. in two days like draski how do you number one handle that number one and number two how do you keep that going? Like, do you know what you're doing this weekend when you start back up? Me? Yes, you. No, I have no idea. I um, I set two new goals. I have so many milestones because I, I honestly did not expect my community to go above and beyond like they have. I set all of my milestones like $500 apart. So I have like a whole chunk of milestones to do. I've added more milestones, but I don't honestly know. It is the first year my kids are involved. So I think Aww. community, yeah, all three of them, they have pied me and drawn all over me already. But yeah, no. So my kids, they want to be more involved. They All three of them want to be able to pie me so that's Fair. gonna happen and then we have just bands and we have all these other things but i'm i'm more just doing it for the kids now at this point like more for for my kids than the kids <laughs> yeah i think your situation is very unique in that sense where you also like you want to do it for the kids uh -huh, at saying uh -huh. jude but you want to do it for your kids as well yes and yeah i think that playing off of your strengths in that sense is just it, i think that's really what took it to the next level for you guys because you're mm -hmm. Your community is very loving and very supportive, yes, but the more that you show how much this means to you, uh, whether it's in the form of mass crying or in the form of getting your kids involved and letting them pie you in the face, it's mm -hmm. it's it shows them that you're willing to do this. So why are why aren't they willing to donate? And the answer is yeah. well, yeah, I actually am. I would love to talk about really quickly working with brands because it would okay. I feel like it would be a mistake to not talk about it. We've got uh, community engagement extraordinaire over at Alienware and Anna Marie. Uh, we've also worked with Steel Series on our side with Drasky and myself. I've worked with GameStop directly as well, where they were doing their foray into fundraising for St. Jude, and we worked with them and all of their brands. So, how? Let's keep it simple to start. Like, what is the basics of trying to get involved with brands? Do you feel? It's so cheesy. Be professional. Like, don't just DM me all lowercase sentences run on something that doesn't make sense like half thoughts 
So what's interesting about my campaign is I work internally with our partnerships team, but I also reach out myself right. to external partners. And how I do it is I put together a pitch deck. So I put together literally, for those who don't know what St. Jude is, like, what is St. Jude? What is Play Live? Who am I? What did I do last year? And then I talk about, you know, what are the goals this year? What am I offering prizing wise? Who am I partnering with? Really big key activations. This year I built two websites and I, I got you to know, budget to do that. We have for the top donor prize for my campaign this year is a, a $7,000 prize provided by Ace Attack, which is an entire Alienware ecosystem. And that was a Hail Mary because I, I sent them a pitch deck, right? So the best thing you can do is when you're having these conversations or when you reach out to them, don't be like, hey, support me, give me free things. Let them let the brands know what they can get out of it because they want to make sure that if they're putting in monetary funds that they have to get approval, which is normal. So they need to make sure that they're either getting exposure, getting, you know, rotators, social call outs is another really big thing. They need to make sure that they can justify it internally because people are not just going to hand you digital or physical pricing and just be like, okay, cool, great, thanks. So it, it all comes back down to professionalism. Make sure that you have your shit together. <laughs> be honest. The best way I can say it is have an elevator pitch, know your stuff, know what you want to do and be able to talk to it. The best thing that you can do is feel comfortable and confident because the minute that you don't and that you lose their credibility with you, even if they don't have any idea who you are. And that's the best way I can kind of say to go about it. Yeah, no, that's, that's Sounds definitely awesome. fair. Yeah. When it comes to influencers and content creators ourselves, like it, it's the same way that you approach trying to get sponsored yourself, like for personal reasons, it's like, you want to be professional, but you also have to know your stuff. You have to pitch yourself the right way. You have to let them know what are they getting out of it? Because more often than not, if you're when it comes to like esports teams or things like that, eh, a little bit different. They're normally reaching out to you based off of performance. Mm -hmm. But when you are trying to get an affiliate or a partnership or a sponsorship with a company, it's like you have to know your numbers. You have to know what you offer the company themselves because they're not just going to give you stuff. They still have to convince the internals. It's not like this is free stuff that they can just throw out everywhere. They have marketing mm -hmm. dollars, sure, but that marketing dollars have to go towards something. You have to justify it too to make sure everything's good to go. You have to justify it 100%. Like they, you tell them that, yes, normally we raise this much. We've got this much viewership. We've, we've done this every single year. So it's consistent. So you know, what's going to happen and just like it, you know, it's good PR. Like you have good standing. Hopefully that also helps as well. Draskia, do you have any experiences working with Steel Series or others? I do, actually. I have worked with MAC Cosmetics. I've worked with Steel Series. I've oh, wow. even worked with Viz, the publishing company, for their My Little Pony stuff. It's always great to just to know your stuff, go in confident. Like, like you said, just be there in the moment. Don't like back out or drizzle off or anything else like that. And it shows. It really translates. Yeah, for sure. And with existing relationships as well, if you're an influencer, like reaching mm -hmm. out to your mm -hmm. contacts, they reach out ahead of time. That's always nice. Like yes. I'm not saying that it's too late now for the end of prize season at the end of May, but you could you could put it out a feeling now. But I would I would ask months in advance or a month in advance at least and then that way you give them time to pitch it internally. They can see mm -hmm. what they can do. I know that worked with Meg Kaylee. She's currently doing a thing with Logitech and her sponsors over there. They give away a prize package and all of the donations are going to charity as well. 
And it's just work the connections that you've made over the years, because we talk so much about networking and the importance of that as influencers. And even in previous episodes, we talked about that as well. The importance of just making connections in the space. Same thing applies here, especially when it comes to working with brands. So I want to jump into the fun stuff because we always have fun stuff to end <laughs> off the podcast. We have a couple okay. questions. So let's go into questions. And again, if you have questions for future episodes, we normally tweet out before recording, but you can always respond on social media using the hashtag Tiltify2020 and asking any of your questions for our future guests, including our future guests. Draskia herself is actually going to be a future guest. We're going to be talking about social media and the power of social media and using that to benefit your charity as well as your charity fundraisers, as well as your personal branding. So that'll be fun. We'll also be talking with Ashley from our staff, who is also an influencer, and we're going to be talking about supplemental tools for charities to have success. So Discord and things of the sort and how to build proper toolkits for your charities so that people have the resources that they need. Let's get into the questions. And our first one is, I believe this is Regina, who asks, what was your dream job as a 14-year-old and why did it change if it did? So Anna, let's start with you. I think that's my aunt, I'll be honest. Oh. Regina? <laughs> yes. R-E-J, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Aunt Jenny. So my dream job at 14... I think I was like torn between a couple different things. So I wanted to be an actress, but theater. I didn't, I didn't really like, I like movies, but I didn't like the people. Sure. (laughs) Gotcha. Growing up in California, you you know, it's interesting. And then I wanted to write books. I wanted to be a writer. One of the things that helped me like get through high school before I could like game, I didn't tell my mom my computer had Wi-Fi and I built an entire RPG board and created my own like world and she thought the whole time I was writing technically I was but I was also managing like 6,000 people she didn't know that part that's still pretty awesome <laughs> so I thank you I uh I wanted to I wanted to write books so I that's actually one of my degrees very cool. writing very cool uh Draskia, how about you I wanted to be an artist or a nurse. I was actually starting my, not prerequisites for college at 14, but I was starting to plan out my nursing stuff. I was very determined to (laughs) help people or to make people happy with artwork. I was drawing a lot at the time. I've always drawn though. I have artists in my family, so it it definitely helps. So I did get to achieve one of those. I am a artist by night. So yeah. Yeah, Are was, you really? That's awesome. Yeah, I do emote commissions and I do portraits and chibis and bunches of fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, like, hey, you stuck with some of it. So, hey, congratulations. Yeah, I on did. That. I, I got to stick with some of it. So childhood me is very happy. <laughs> well, you still get to help people because you're yes, doing the charity yeah. fundraising. Yeah. So I think and you're I doing work. both. Oh, you really? Yeah. different. There definitely definitely and i definitely don't have the stomach for nurse stuff i once i had my kids that just went out the window <laughs> <laughs> no thank you okay. let's just yeah. leave it yep. at that just... good enough uh for me when i was 14 goodness there a million different things i was gonna say the fire truck joke like i wanted to grow up to be a fire truck but that was actually kind of true <laughs> i wanted to be a comedian that's why i wanted to segue into that but that was just oh. before 14 where uh, I was funny, but I was more so funny looking. And I felt like I could turn that funny looking into funny. What? I'm just being honest. I was I was a chubby little, <laughs> you know, kid that just, you know, thought he was funny. I bet you were adorable. I, I was. We can share pictures after. Yay. But yeah, at okay, 14, I, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a writer. 
But I still kind of get to do that. I mean, I do a lot of writing internally for the company, whether it's internal documents or charity documents. Writing has always been a passion of mine, and I've definitely translated that. I'm very verbose, as people know, and I, I say a lot, and I speak a lot, and I write a lot. That's kind of where I, I, I approach it all. So, yeah, it, it still reflects. I'm still a teacher in a sense, especially with my streams. Only thing you can't do is be a fire truck, but you've nailed everything else. I I could be a fire truck if I wanted to. If you to. try really, I will, really, really I like hard. that attitude. I will be yeah. Optimus Prime someday. <laughs> the second question. <laughs> let's go through these kind of quickly. Sarah okay. asks, if you had to hold your breath in a vat of cheese for 20 seconds, what flavor of cheese would you choose and why? Draskia, let's go with you first. Whatever cheese is good for my skin. Oh my and, god. Yeah. Oh, that's I a good that. one. But you don't know which cheese, so I don't know what cheese is good for my skin, but I'm gonna be holding my breath. I'm not gonna be eating it. That's true. And I like yeah. people use milk and other uh, dairy products for yeah. that, right? So like it's yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's probably a cheese. Someone let us know in the comments, Anna. Please. <laughs> Colby Jack. Because I love Colby Jack cheese. I love Colby Jack. I was I was gonna say. Um, I thought we were gonna eat it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. I you could. Gonna eat it. I guess I don't know. I mean, you could. Uh, for me, it would be anything. Well, if we we're eating it spicy, but then if I'm just holding my breath in it, my eyes would probably burn, or it'd be like I'd be too tempted. It would seep in or something. The the really oh. disgusting nacho cheese that you get at like movie theaters and whatnot. Plastic. Yeah, plastic, plastic Ew. nacho cheese. Yeah. Ooh. I was addicted to that stuff as a kid. That's why I was a fat little kid that was trying to be a comedian. Um, <laughs> our last question. Max, who's from my community, asks, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I will, I'll start with that one. Working at St. Jude. And I mean that. It's, um, if I'm not working at Teltify still, I would love to work at St. Jude because they, they gave me a second chance at life many years ago, whether directly or indirectly. That will remain a mystery to everyone. But St. Jude has changed my life in such a way that I cannot see myself not influencing what they do every single day for the rest of my life. Whether that's through Tiltify, who is their online fundraising platform partner, or at the actual hospital itself. Whether as a teacher or as something there. That's, that's my passion. Anna? I don't really know. If you told me... 10 years or five years ago that I'd be here. I I couldn't, I couldn't have told you that I've been working for Alienware for six years. And in six years, my role has kind of stayed the same, but also shifted. I don't know. I know I definitely want to still be in a position where I'm creating because that's, that's where I'm happiest and interacting with communities, whether it be my own or somebody else's. And please don't think that I'm stealing from you. Um, <laughs> but I know at some point in my life, possibly farther down than 10 years, uh, it's looking like something on LSAC is what I would like to do. That would be great. It, it's it's such an amazing organization to work with. So, Draskia, 10 years from now, a fourth oh, kid, gosh. a fifth kid, a sixth kid. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, 10 years ago, I was a high school dropout who had two babies and didn't know what I was going to do. All I knew was that I could cook and clean and draw mildly okay. Now, like 10 years ago, I would have never expected to be sitting on a podcast or sitting in a house or doing what I do or raising money for St. Jude. I do know what I want to do, which is to work with St. Jude more, whether it's working for them 
or working with another charity that does awesomeness. I don't want to steal your guys' answers and say like <laughs> working with St. Jude or for St. Jude, but I just want to do good. I want to help. That's that's what I want to do. And I'm going to keep pushing towards that personally. So. So I'll see you at St. Jude 2030, Yeah, we'll just have lunch. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. And I don't, you yeah. know, I definitely see that happening. I, I do. I definitely do as well. Well, that's going to do it for episode number seven. I want to give a very special thank you to Anne-Marie for joining us and going a little overtime. I'm sorry about that. But, no, you're not apologizing to me. I feel like I went over on you guys. I'm so sorry I talked so much. No, it's <laughs> it's good. it's what we do. It's where we love it. Everyone loves it. Everyone listening is going to love it. And uh, do you have any shout outs you want to give out? Well, thank you again for you guys having me on. You asked me and I thought you had messaged the wrong person. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, was, I was like, Why? is this, did you mean to message me? Okay. Say yes before they can take it away. <laughs> So I like quickly replied <laughs> so you couldn't take it back. So huge shout out. Thank you to Tiltify. You guys gave me a jersey last year that said like charity all-star. And I kid you not, it's like hung up in my closet, like in a frame. <laughs> That's how much of a nerd it is. Aww. But you guys, and I, I've been fundraising, like I, I fundraised for Extra Life for many years before this. I think, gosh, 2010 is when I started with them. But the best thing about it is obviously Tiltify is a platform. You guys have changed and made the world a better place because, holy God, it actually makes sense and it works. And thank you. I don't want to say like individual names because I'm like, I'm going to leave out somebody and I don't want to do that. So everybody at St. Jude who have been so amazing, so wonderful and giving and amazing about the amount of times that I've pinged them at odd hours since the beginning of February. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, you're um, not. please forgive me. I'm not because I got what I wanted, and <laughs> <laughs> we have twenty seven thousand dollars, so I'm not that sorry. They there can't be mad about that, exactly. <laughs> I just feel a little bad. Oh, it's um, I'm really grateful to to my family and to my poor boyfriend who I ignore for an entire month, but he totally lets me do that because he's just such a wonderful human being. And Aww. I couldn't have gotten luckier. He says good night to me. And then I go to bed after he's already asleep. He goes Aww. to work before I go to work. I was like, I never get to see him. But I feel like he made like, he orders me dinner. He brings me water when I'm streaming. I'm like, I could literally, I've never had like a good support system. Like, what is this? <laughs> so, huge. Thank you. Shout out. He's keeping me out of the hospital insane. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good, good. And sounds like a keeper. I'm not going to say anything else to that. Otherwise, you know, I might get yelled at, but a keeper for sure. Uh, Draskia, how about you? As always, check out our social Instagram and Twitter. We are Tiltify on Twitter and Tiltify on Instagram. Yeah. And of course, our TikTok. Don't forget our TikTok. We oh, so yes. And our TikTok. We are also on there posting cute robots and stuff. It's been fun Aww. and clips and things. Yes. Yes, and for me, I'm going to shout out pretty much the same thing because episode number eight is going to be about social media and we're going to be talking about the importance of Twitter and Instagram and the newly functioning TikTok integration that we have on Tiltify and uh, all the amazing things that you can do on that. So it's going to be me and Draskia just powwowing it ourselves. We might find a guest. We'll see. But it'll be a lot of fun. That's going to be episode number eight. So we're going to talk about the importance of your social media presence for both influencers and charities because charities, let's be honest, we need to have this talk. 
So until then, thank you so very much for tuning in. This has been the Joy of Fundraising and Tilts by Podcast, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>